0: You are Locked on Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And we return here with another episode of Locked on Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostreicher of RavensWire. And we return here today on a midweek edition of Locked on Ravens, and we do have quite a bit to talk about today. The franchise tag deadline has come and gone with multiple players being franchise tagged across the entire league. Some surprises, some not so much, and we'll talk about just what the Ravens did with their franchise tag and just what it means for this Ravens team. But since it is Wednesday, that means it is our mailbag segment today. We got a plethora of responses. I'm glad we had a lot of responses this week. We'll be doing three full segments here of mailbag questions because we just got that many responses. So for this Ravens team, free agency again, right around the corner and this Baltimore team should be very excited at the possibility of some of these guys that are hitting the open market. So today on our mailbag episode, we're going to be taking a look at free agency, at the draft, team needs, who could be back in Baltimore, who could be leaving Baltimore, and much, much more. So again, three full segments here of mailbag questions. So let's just get right into it. But before we do that, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere there's a podcast where they're waiting Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Eastern time. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnRavens and my personal account at ChaosStriker34. So with all that being said, we're going to get right into it here, starting off with a question from rfetch82, who asks, who do you expect the Ravens to end up tagging, if anyone? I've seen fans expecting it would be Judon slash Yannick, but I feel like that's unlikely. I feel like we'll end up tagging Wolf to be honest. And so, this question, I guess it's expired in a way, but we still can talk about what happened on franchise tag deadline day here. So, the franchise tag deadline is officially over. It was yesterday, and the Ravens did not use their franchise tag. They did not use it on Matthew Judon, Yannick Ngakwe, or Derek Wolfe here. Wolfe, I don't think he should have been the guy that Baltimore used their franchise tag on anyway. I think that He's going to command a lot less on the market than the franchise tag number is, but for the Ravens, they just did not have the money to franchise tag Yanni Kingakwe or Matthew Judon. I think they would have maybe had a little bit of a disagreement with these players in terms of whether to tag them as defensive ends or linebackers. The defensive end franchise tag is $17.7 million, while the linebacker franchise tag is $15.6 million, so... Yannick Ngakwe might have wanted to be tagged as a defensive end instead of a linebacker in that situation, but it doesn't matter anymore because they're not franchise tagged. Neither of them are franchise tagged. Both will be looking for long-term deals on the open market and both should get them. But the sense around Baltimore now is that those two, in Judon and Ngakwe, will not be returning to Baltimore just with the production they put up in 2020, even and even with Matthew Judon dating back, you know had a really nice sack here there but it was kind of inconsistent. He was inconsistent. He had 3 sacks in one game and then didn't register a sack in the next 5 or something like that. So for the Ravens, they need to revamp their pass rush and I think that's a combination of bringing back guys Letting some guys go, signing some free agents, and drafting some rookies. And that's all a joint effort to make a really deadly pass rush because, with the secondary the Ravens have right now, if they can get a pass rush behind them, and it's not like the pass rush for Baltimore was awful and terrible, but for the Ravens, there were games where they just could not get any pressure on quarterbacks. When they did get pressure, they weren't able to wrap up quarterbacks and get them on the turf. So, They have a lot of work to do, but Yannick Ngakwe and Matthew Judon do not seem to be a part of that puzzle, and for the Ravens, they did not use their franchise tag this season after using it on Matthew Judon last season, so we'll see what ends up happening with those two and Matthew Judon and Yannick Ngakwe, but right now, it does not seem like the Ravens are going to bring either of them back in 2021 or beyond. Our next question here comes from Ben Rose, who asks, how will Dak Prescott's new contract affect Lamar's eventual payday? And so the big news of the last couple of days here is that Dak Prescott signed a four-year $160 million deal with the Dallas Cowboys. It goes up to $164 million if incentives are hit, I believe. But for the Ravens, This is pretty big news because Dak Prescott in that area, the $40 million a year area, the same thing with Deshaun Watson as well and a couple of other quarterbacks, those are the baseline contracts for Lamar Jackson. And I personally think that Lamar Jackson's contract will be in that area. I think Lamar Jackson is not going to get as much money as Patrick Mahomes, but I think he'll get more than Deshaun Watson and more than Dak Prescott to end up being Around the second highest paid quarterback in the entire league, whether it be $40 million, $43 million. This contract right here, the Cowboys are giving this to Dak Prescott after a couple of years of turmoil in terms of getting his contract done because it was a long, long process for both the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. I think Lamar Jackson's contract negotiations, that whole situation and the whole process behind it, will be a little bit easier for the Ravens and Lamar Jackson to negotiate. It seems like. Eric DaCosta is very serious about this and doesn't really want to drag it out a ton. Now, there is a time and a place for all this. It's not like the Ravens have been working at this for months and months and months, and Eric DaCosta has been constantly on Lamar Jackson's phone and whatnot. That's not that's not what it is. The Ravens, they haven't even started those conversations yet. Eric DaCosta said in his press conference that, yeah, you know, we've done we've done a couple of those things and we've had some conversations, we've spent some time together, but we haven't really gotten down to the nitty-gritty of this whole conversation about a contract. So With Dak Prescott, this contract is huge. It's huge for Dak Prescott. I'm very glad that Dak Prescott got his money. He deserved this money. And for Lamar Jackson, he's going to deserve the money that he gets too. But now it becomes, how do you work around the contract? I believe with bonuses and whatnot, Dak Prescott gets around $75 million in the first year of this deal. So he's getting a lot of that money in the first year. And with the Ravens, they're going to have to decide with their cap, with their team, because it's different for every team, how they're going to maneuver around this in terms of, are they going to give him a lot of money in the first year? Are they going to backload the contract? How much is guaranteed? There's a lot of stuff that goes into it, you know, in terms of also clauses or there incentives in terms of winning MVP, making the playoffs, winning a Super Bowl, throwing for this amount of yards, you know, throwing this many touchdowns or whatnot. So there's a lot that goes into it. Lamar Jackson also has not hired an agent yet. We don't know if his mom is going to be his agent again. I know his mom was his agent when he negotiated his rookie contract. His mom represented him there, but the Ravens do have a lot of work to do with Lamar Jackson. They also are looking to extend Mark Andrews, so that's another big piece of news there, but Lamar Jackson's going to get paid. You know, there are no ifs, ands, or buts about that. There's no doubt, but the Ravens have to make a couple of interesting decisions when it comes to the actual nitty-gritty of this stuff. So Dak Prescott's deal, pretty huge news for this Ravens team, and we'll see what Lamar Jackson's contract ends up being, but I wouldn't expect it anytime in the very near future. Our next two questions here come from Brendan Ward, Whose first question asks Zaven Collins fits the mold of what the organization looks for at outside linebacker, and his size/slash speed combo is impressive. The pass rush coverage and playmaking stands out on tape. Do you think he would be a good option at 27 or for a trade back? And Zaven Collins is a very intriguing prospect in this draft. His sack numbers won't wow anyone. It's not like he puts up 10 sacks a year. In his college career at Tulsa, in his three years there, he put up only 7.5 sacks, four of those coming in his junior year in 2020 in just eight games, but again, Zayvon Collins brings a lot more to the table than just his pass rush skills, which aren't terrible. They're not bad. I think a lot of people are underrating those skills just because they don't see the sack numbers on the screen and the box score, but Saving Collins can drop back into coverage. He is also pretty good against the run setting the edge as well. And the Ravens, as Brendan mentions here... They love the versatility of their outside linebackers. Tyus Bowser, again, someone whose sack numbers aren't going to pop off of the screen, but can set the edge really well. Bowser can also drop back into coverage. So there's a ton of stuff that Tyus Bowser does. Matthew Judon, again, inconsistent at times, can get to the quarterback at times, but also is one of the best edge setters in the entire league and can drop back into coverage as well. So Collins does fit that mold. For me though, I think Zayvon Collins will be available in the early to mid thirties. And if you're the Ravens, you don't like anybody else on your board at the position of 27 in the draft, you can trade back. If you have three or four players who you're saying, yeah, I think that they're going to be in the mid-30s, you know, obviously nothing is a guarantee in the draft, but if you're thinking that and if you have that mindset with three, four players, you can risk the trade back and you maybe miss out on two of them, maybe three. But if you have even like five players, for example, that you like in the mid-30s, but you're saying, eh, we could probably trade back and get them, You can pick up that extra draft capital, pick up an extra third or a fourth or a fifth, and that will help a team with the depth, and it will help a team not only get extra draft capital, but also get the same player they wanted at, for example, for the Ravens at 27 that they would at 35. So for the Ravens, I think that was the strategy if Patrick Queen was not there in 2020 at 28. So, I think that Collins is someone who would fit really well in this Ravens system, but I think they could trade back to around pick 35 and still get him at that pick. Brendan Ward's last question is, there are a considerable amount of high-level interior offensive line players becoming available due to cap cuts with reduced cap. Who do you think is a better fit, Gabe Jackson or Tri Turner? And for the Ravens, again, there are a bunch of guys who could help this team out, but In terms of who would be a better fit for Baltimore, I'm going to have to go with Tri Turner because with Gabe Jackson, he is definitely a good player, but he has fallen off in recent years and he hasn't received the best grades in run blocking over the past few years either, which aren't great when you're asked to come into a very heavy running style offense and so Turner is I think a little bit better now he missed some games with injury in 2020 the Chargers and Panthers swapped Russell Okun for Turner and I don't think that deal really worked for either team it really wasn't great for either team both guys were injured for a majority of the season last year but Turner is someone who is a bounce back candidate I think that he could be a nice addition to the Ravens. Now, Turner has not been cut yet. He is still on the Chargers. It seems like they're either going to trade or release him. But in the event that he is released, I think that he is the better option of the two. But I just don't think Gabe Jackson, if you have the option of Turner, I don't think Gabe Jackson fits this Ravens offense nearly as well as Turner does. And especially with his bad run blocking grades, I don't think the Ravens want to bring that in and potentially have him start on an offense that runs the ball a ton. So for me, Try-Turner is definitely the answer between Gabe Jackson or Turner. We're going to head into our first break now, but when we return, we'll be continuing to answer mailbag questions, so stay tuned for that, and we'll be right back. We have been telling you about Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bar on the market, for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber, amazing-tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all bars. Now it's time to find out which Built Bar is the best. It's Built Bar Madness. Go to builtbar.com or to built_bar underscore Bar on Twitter. Remember, use the promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off of your next order. That's LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off of your next order at builtbar.com. And check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best-tasting protein bar. We are back with our second segment of this midweek edition of Locked on Ravens. Kevin Ostreicher, your host, still talking with you here. And let's just dive right into more mailbag questions here, starting off with Drayton Jackson, who asks, everyone is worried about receiver, but what about the offensive line, center and right tackle in particular? And so, yeah, I think a lot of people are blaming the offensive struggles on the lack of weapons that Lamar Jackson has at his disposal the past game. And all the things that go along with, you know, Greg Roman and David Culley and them maybe not having the best concepts or the best grasp on the passing offense. And now with Culley gone, T. Martin and Keith Williams, I think, will be a huge proponent in getting this passing offense going. But everybody's talking about receiver. It's true. You know, the Kenny Galladay's now that Alan Robinson and Chris Godwin aren't on the market anymore. Those guys are crossed off the list, but Juju Smith-Schuster and Corey Davis and Curtis Samuel and all these other guys, even Marvin Jones, for example, A.J. Green, T.Y. Hilton. So many receivers are being linked to Baltimore, but it seems like, to me at least, the offensive line is the key here. That is the number one concern for this offense is to get this offensive line in the best shape that it can be because when you look at it, the offense in the NFL or in offense in the NFL... Even regardless of how good your quarterback is, how good your running backs are, how good your wide receivers are, how good your tight ends are, it doesn't matter if there's a defensive player in the backfield at the start of every play, meaning a running back gets tackled or has a guy in his face 0.2 seconds after getting the football, or... A quarterback has to scramble out of the pocket and make something happen out of the pocket every single play, or a quarterback just can't get rid of the football and actually throw good passes to his receivers or tight ends because he's getting chased around all game. That that all is really important, so I don't think it matters how the offensive line gets to a good position, how it gets to an elite unit once again, whether those options are already on the roster, for example, with Bradley Bozeman or with Ben Powers. Those are guys who could potentially be answers. Is Ben Bredesen anything? Is Tyree Phillips anything? They have some options just in Cologne Castillo as well, but getting some veterans in there would be good. Getting some veterans in the offensive line room would be good because it is a very young unit right now. In free agency, I would look for the Ravens to address their center position. Maybe some interior offensive line positions as well there. Maybe go after a Joe Tooney or go after a Corey Lindsley. At the right tackle position, you know, that's a that's a backup position for me until Orlando Brown gets traded. If Orlando Brown Jr. does get traded, then that need obviously really bumps up on the need list. But I think Baltimore's honestly gonna look to the draft at that position regardless of whether Orlando Brown Jr. gets traded before the 2021 draft or not. And it depends if Orlando Brown Jr. does get traded, right tackle becomes a first round need, second round need, because you can't go into the year With just no guys on on the line who can start or back up at the right tackle position. Because Ronnie Stanley, as good as he is, has never played a full 16-game season throughout his entire Five year career in Baltimore. He played in 12 games his rookie season, 15 games in his second and third years, 14 games in his fourth year, and then just six games in 2020. And he also has had two surgeries on that horrifying ankle injury that he suffered against the Pittsburgh Steelers in their first matchup with the Ravens. So it's been tough, you know, the offensive line has certainly struggled since the retirement of Marshall Yonda and the injury to Ronnie Stanley. And look, it's only been a year, right? The Ravens, you know, they, they had a year to say, all right, we did not address that position enough. We have to get some more proven guys. So for the Ravens, a veteran option or two, especially on the interior, would do this unit wonders. Next, we have a question from at paid, and he asks... What do you feel the Ravens value most this offseason? Offensive line retooling or receiver help? A wide receiver one, a third tight end. Yeah, these are these are all really big needs for this team, but I think the Ravens ultimately will value the offensive line over a receiver. You know, truth be told, this offense is not a passing offense. Obviously, they're going to pass the football, and they have the opportunity to become really good at it and have that feed off of their run offense. But the reality is this is a run-first football team. This team runs the football It's almost to perfection. Obviously, it can't be exactly to perfection because that's just, you know, nothing can be perfect. But for this Ravens team, they have so many different weapons running the football. J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill even. The Ravens now need those weapons in the passing game as well. But in order to build this offense completely, I kind of talked about this with the earlier question in this segment. You have to be able to protect your quarterback. You have to be able to open up running lanes. You have to be able to find an offensive line that can build to your strengths, that can be really good at the things you are good at. So, for example, getting a center who can snap the football is a great start. And I think that I don't see Matt Skura coming back this season for the Ravens. I think he his time in Baltimore is done. I think that Patrick McCarry is the perfect swing guy for this Ravens team, can pretty much play all five positions. That's the swing guy that you want backing up, because obviously, you know, he's not your first option that you want to start. Maybe he could get there, but right now he's probably not that guy. But if you can sign a nice veteran center, I mentioned Corey Lindsley, for example, then you can work out maybe a cheaper wide receiver. Obviously not a Kenny Galladay, but how expensive is Corey Davis going to be? Probably really expensive, and honestly, at this point, probably out of the Ravens price range. But can you get a Marvin Jones at a reasonable price and then draft a guy like Rashad Bateman or Terrace Marshall Jr.? Or can you find a third tight end in free agency who can help Lamar Jackson? Is Delaney Walker up to the challenge there? Jared Cook, Kyle Rudolph. So the Ravens, they've spent and spent and spent on defense. Now it's time to spend on offense a little and draft a bit on defense with safety maybe being a concern there, whether it just be a true free safety that you can use the Sean Elliott on the field with and Chuck Clark on the field with as well, but This Ravens team certainly has a lot of work to do. They still have a very solid roster as is right now, but again, as I've been saying throughout the last couple of weeks here, the Ravens have plenty of opportunities to get better this offseason, and the Ravens need to continue to grow, continue to progress, and part of that is one, surrounding your quarterback with weapons to help him succeed, but two, can this team as a whole take the next step forward? Can you finalize an elite defensive unit with a guy who's a true free safety and a couple of nice pass rushers? Can you again find an offensive line that is built to the strengths of your team? That is where the Ravens need to go next. So for me, offensive line I think is my number one need here. The Ravens also should go hard at Corey Davis, obviously with the news that Allen Robinson and Chris Godwin aren't able to hit the market because of the franchise tag, that ups Corey Davis's value a lot. It ups Juju Smith-Schuster's value a lot, Curtis Samuel, even Marvin Jones. So the Ravens might have to overpay a guy to get to where they need to be. Because, you know, you can't get everybody on a team-friendly deal. Some guys are going to want to get paid, and, and that's their every right to. They should get paid. These guys deserve to get paid. So the Ravens have to find some cheap deals. You know, they can't overpay everybody. But if they have to overpay a guy by $2, $3 $2, 3000000 million in order to find a perfect fit in their offense, I think that's a fine thing to do. And even on the defensive side of the ball, overpay to find a perfect fit in the defense is the same thing. So back to the question, the main thing for me is the number one need. It has to be the offensive line. It has to be for me. And then wide receiver comes second. And then edge rushers for me come third because I think the Ravens are going to retain most of their own guys. But a lot of needs for this team, a lot of decisions to be made, and a lot of free agents out there who could help this team. We're going to round out this segment with Elias Page, who asks two questions, his first being, does re-signing Tyus Bowser become a priority after it was reported that Judon and Ngakwe probably won't be in Baltimore next year? And Elias, I certainly think that this has something to do with the whole Tyus Bowser situation in terms of making him a priority versus not making him a priority. I think the Ravens would certainly love to have Tyus Bowser back, and honestly, I'm a bit surprised at what I've been hearing about Tyus Bowser's market. I've I've heard his market be anywhere from $5 million to $8 million a season, which for me, I mean, that's a no-brainer. The guy knows the system. He showed tremendous improvement in 2020. He is not just a decently good pass rusher, but he is a very good linebacker in coverage. He can set the edge. And again, what I just talked about, he knows the system. That's the key thing that I'd keep going back to. So I think if you can get Tyus Bowser on a three-year, $20 million deal. I'm all for that, even if it's something along the lines of three years, $24 million, $8 million a year. That's perfectly worth it for Tyus Bowser, in my opinion, because with the Ravens, they're probably going to lose Matthew Judon and Yannick Ngakwe, and that that's a tough loss, even if the two weren't the most consistent duo, if the two had their weaknesses They are both very good pass rushers. I think that no one can argue that. It's just a matter of, you know, maybe being a little bit more consistent and their production not equaling the contract they might get in free agency here, and the Ravens don't have $55 million to spend in free agency. They only have a select amount. So the Ravens have to be smart with their signings, and I think Ty Spouser would be a very smart signing for this team who needs edge depth badly. And really would love to have a guy who's familiar with their system back on the team. So I think Ty Bowser does become a priority. But I think a couple of other high priority guys for this team are Gus Edwards, Derek Wolf, Pernell McPhee, and a couple of others who the Ravens can get back on team-friendly deals who like to be in Baltimore. And then they can go out there and sign the guys. And they'll say, hey, come on into Baltimore. We have a winning team. We have a role for you let's get it done. Let's win a Super Bowl. Let's be competitive. Let's play some football. That's what the Ravens are all about. And I think that with the idea of just bringing back guys plus adding guys, it's it's a balance that has to be done. And I think the Ravens will do a really good job of that in free agency in 2021. The final question from Elias Page asks, is Carlos Dunlap too expensive? Is he more expensive than Brandon Williams? And so I'll answer the second part of this question first. He is not more expensive than Brandon Williams. I'd be shocked if he gets a contract in the $13, $14 million range. Now, defensive tackles, nose tackles versus edge rushers, the salaries do line up a bit differently. Edge rushers tend to be paid more than nose tackles, defensive tackles. But in 2020, let's take his 2020 season for example here, he had six sacks in 2020, both with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Seattle Seahawks. But he is someone who has been a beacon of consistency over the course of his career since coming into the league in 2010, has never had a season below four and a half sacks, had a career high 13 and a half in 2015. He's a two-time pro bowler, so it's not like he's going to command nothing on the market. He certainly is going to have a market in teams that are interested. He is 32. He turned 32 about a week and a half ago on February 28th, but still, he, I think, has a couple of years left, a couple of good years left, so I'd say Carlos Dunlap will probably get anywhere from nine to ten million dollars a year, I could even maybe see it being eight million dollars, because you know, by the time Carlos Dunlap becomes 34, 35, his production will probably drop, so maybe a team backloads a contract for him, and says, hey, we'll pay you maybe two, three million dollars in the first year here and do this and that. Or they could front load it and say, we're going to pay you a bunch of money up front here, but not all of it. So once we get to the second and third years of this deal, there won't be a ton of money left, but we're not going to be obligated to pay it to you if you don't live up to the contract. So for me, Carlos Dunlap could be a really nice fit in Baltimore. Obviously, his time in Cincinnati came to a very ugly end, but It seems like he is a competitor who just wants to win, and the Ravens certainly could offer him that opportunity. So for me, I don't think Carlos Dunlap would be too expensive for the Ravens, but it'll be interesting to see how they end up trying to find some depth for their edge position. One of those answers could be Carlos Dunlap. We're going to head into our final break here, but when we return, we'll be rounding out this episode by answering the last of our mailbag questions, so stay tuned for that and we will be right back. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. There are real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online, as you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, is the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And we return here with our final segment of this midweek edition of Locked On Ravens. Kevin Ostryker still hanging out with you here. And we're now going to get into the final part of our mailbag, starting off with Riley M, who asks, I feel like free agency is where we determine what our 2021 starting lineup looks like. Let's say we have $14 in cap space. Who are the guys you're aggressively going after? Also, who would be some veteran guys who we could possibly get on the cheap side? So for this Ravens team, yeah, they don't have the most cap space to work with in the entire NFL, but they certainly have some room, a little room to work with. And some guys I highlight are guys like T.Y. Hilton, A.J. Green, maybe Jared Cook, Justin Houston, Trey Boston. Those are the guys I named out initially under Riley's question, but I think that those guys would all feel a need for the Ravens. I think they also could shoot a little higher than that. For example, I talked about Marvin Jones a bit earlier. I think Kyle Rudolph could be someone the Ravens look and go after. Malik Hooker, for example, but they're not going to be able to go after the Kenny Galladay's of the world or some of those other really expensive free agents that are most likely going to command $20 million, $25 million, whatever it may be on the open market The Ravens have to be smart with their money, and that's why they're probably not going to bring back guys like Matthew Judon or Yannick Ngakwe, because they could maybe find more production for a lot less money with guys like Justin Houston or Jadevian Clowney or Melvin Ingram. So those are all guys who could fill a need for the Ravens, but not necessarily cost a ton of money. But at the end of the day, the Ravens are going to have to fill out most of their starting lineup. Through free agency, the Ravens, especially with the late round rookies, they don't usually play a ton unless they absolutely, absolutely need to. For example, we saw with J.K. Dobbins even early in the year, he didn't play at all, and then he ended up doing a lot with the limited touches he did get, and he came onto the scene really, really quickly and became the Ravens' lead back. But even like with Devin Duvernay or James Perche, guys who you could argue should have gotten more opportunities. It didn't, and I think that's because they wanted guys who had been in the system a little longer and had some more veteran experience. So the Ravens certainly have to go after some guys who are going to be cheap, but they also can shoot a little higher than that and sign a couple of guys who won't demand a crazy amount of money, but their contracts could be a little bit bigger than some people they anticipate. Our next question here comes from AXL6719, who asks, With our cap, what are realistic signings unless players agree to get paid over time? I don't see a huge splash. And yeah, I mean, the Ravens, I don't think, again, they're going to make a huge, massive splash with a Kenny Galladay-type player, but even guys like, you know, Hassan Reddick, how much is he going to be asking for on the open market? There are a bunch of edge guys who are going to be a little bit out of the Ravens' price range. Same with wide receivers, even same with offensive linemen. They're always going to be those top-tier guys, and when you don't have a ton of cap space to work with, those guys are usually out of your price range, but with the Ravens, they don't necessarily need to make those big splashes. Sometimes the biggest spenders aren't the biggest winners. So as long as the Ravens are smart with their money, they'll be able to field a pretty good and competitive team in 2021 with the base roster they have right now returning, as well as being able to draft guys, again, to sign guys in free agency, and then bringing back some of the guys who were scheduled to hit free agency who played for the team in 2020. So even if the Ravens don't make a huge splash, their roster is still going to be competitive in 2021. Our next question comes from Murray Chesno, who asks, what are the Ravens realistically expecting from Jalen Ferguson and Justice Hill this coming year? Are they still seen as developmental projects or are they viewed as potentially expendable? And this is a good question because Justice Hill and Jalen Ferguson, both picks from that 2019 draft that is looking less and less impressive as each year goes by. And part of the reason is because some of these guys just are not developing. Miles Boykin is one of those guys, Shalen Ferguson another. And Justice Hill, Hill is a little different. I don't think he's had as many opportunities as I think he would have liked. And look, there's a lot of depth at running back. There has been with J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards. So Hill, you know, he, I don't think he's gotten necessarily a fair shot to show off what he's got. But with these guys, Jalen Ferguson and Justice Hill, this is a year that's really big for them. Year three is really big for them. We'll start off here with Jalen Ferguson, who in his two years in Baltimore has had 61 total tackles with just four and a half sacks. Two and a half sacks in his rookie season and two sacks during his sophomore year here in the NFL. So not a lot of great production out of Jalen Ferguson he sometimes looks lost on the field he wasn't inactive in some games this year and was inactive last year I believe a bit as well so you know Ferguson I think again he needs to have a big year three because he is the only guy from the Ravens as rusher group to be under contract so it's, it's a huge year for Jalen Ferguson and then for Justice Hill The running back in his two seasons in the NFL has only rushed the football 70 times for 285 yards and two scores he rushed 58 times for 225 yards and two scores in 2019 in his rookie season. And then during his sophomore year, only 12 carries for 60 yards and no scores. So again, a big year three for Justice Hill. I think he will take over full-time as the Ravens' third running back, especially with Mark Ingram no longer in the fold. He'll also provide some value on special teams. So for both Ferguson and Hill, a big year three has to happen for the Ravens to consider either of them in their future plans. And I guess Justice Hill has more of an advantage here just because of the fact that he can play special teams and has played it well and the Ravens value that aspect out of him. But for Ferguson, he was a disappointment for me in 2020. I was expecting a lot more out of him. So the Ravens, they might view this year as the make or break year for him. And it could be the same thing with Miles Boykin, for example, who was in that draft class with Ferguson and Hill. So for the two that are mentioned here and Justice Hill and Jalen Ferguson, the two definitely need to step it up in year three, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Ravens, Viewed them a bit as, as trade pieces if they needed to or could throw them in in a deal to get a deal done. That could be something that maybe happens. I wouldn't count on it, honestly, but it could happen. Anything can happen in the NFL. So the Ravens have two pieces that could do a lot of good things for them, but they need to show that they belong on the NFL football field first for them to be able to earn more and more playing time with this Ravens team. Our final question here comes from Quick Hits who asks if Orlando Brown gets traded this offseason, will the cap savings go towards his replacement or will they go to a wide receiver slash defender? And so yeah, I talked a bit about this earlier in the show, but for me, I think that the Ravens will draft an offensive tackle in the first two rounds if Orlando Brown Jr. does get traded before the draft. Now, if they trade him closer to the season after the draft happens, then it becomes a bit more difficult to say, all right, well, his cap savings go here, his cap savings go there, because by that time, it'll be the fifth, sixth wave of free agency, and not a ton of guys will still be available. But I think if he gets traded before the draft, the Ravens will probably use that money on another defender. I think the Ravens have a certain price range they're willing to go for a receiver. I think that they have some guys in mind, and they'll address that need really early. And with free agency being right around the corner, I think they're going to want to attack receiver really, really fast, but depending on who the Ravens bring back and when Orlando Brown Jr. gets traded, I mean, I don't see a trade for Orlando Brown Jr. happening in the next couple of days here before free agency starts. So the Ravens are going to operate with the fact that Orlando Brown Jr. is still on the roster right now. And I think that they're going to say, hey, we have some guys we're going to sign here, but I think if Orlando Brown Jr. does get traded after the draft, there will still be some quality players in the edge position that could still be in free agency that the Ravens might say, hey, you know, let's take a look at this guy. Let's sign this guy because depending on who they bring back and who they don't bring back, they could still have a couple of holes to fill at that Ed's position. So we'll see what ends up happening with that. It seems like Orlando Brown Jr. every day, it seems more and more likely he stays for the 2021 season. And then honestly, if he does stay, I think he walks in 2022 free agency and the Ravens get back a third round compensatory pick. But I think that the Ravens do have a tough decision to make here. Orlando Brown obviously has voiced his opinion. So now we'll see what the Ravens' next move is. But Orlando Brown, that situation still has not been resolved. That's all that I have for you today. When we get back here tomorrow, we'll be talking about more Ravens football. So stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.